night, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on January the 10th, 2008. And I've got quite a lot to talk about tonight, but before I get on with uh, this talk, I should mention to newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com for lots of free downloadable audios from previous shows over the years. And remember, there's 10 years and all. I have still some to publish yet. They haven't gone up anywhere. They haven't even taken off old tapes from 10 years ago, some of them. And also look into alanwattsentinel.eu and download the transcripts there in various tongues of Europe. Print them out, pass them around to your friends because this stuff is traveling across the world and it's meant to bypass all what we call the BS in the Northern Hemisphere because there's so much of it out there. I'm surprised we're not choking on it. Maybe some are, actually. There's so much of the nonsense out there to keep us in the fake reality. And today I had to go into town and do my running around, which I do very seldom. I don't like going into town too much. There's nothing in it that appeals to me. I watch the program. People are pulling up their plastic cards and, and just buying things on the spot, impulse buying, trying to make themselves happy. And that's what advertising is all about, is to is to sell you promises of things which are nothing but lies because obviously happiness is something inside of you it's not something that comes from outside yet that's what advertising lives on and you see them all around the town scurrying and worrying and buying something that's nice and shiny shiny plastic I can remember when you see shiny metal and they demoted it to plastic because plastic is a byproduct of the, the oil industry and that's why they even put it in your bottles for your water apart from the fact that it gives you a form of xenoestrogen, which has rather odd effects on people, but planned just the same. And then I rushed back here and did a few things, and then the power went out because they're building the big NAFTA highway not too far away. And they don't bother even anymore. The, the power companies used to call around all the neighbors and just to be polite, because you're paying them after all, and they, they put a semblance of cooperation on with the public. They don't bother anymore. They just cut you off and uh, rewire these things over the new highways, etc., and leave you in the dark. That's all a hit and miss thing. So there I was, scurrying around with wires and cables and batteries and backups and extended telephone cables and so on uh, to get all ready for the last half hour, or within the last half hour. And that's how it goes here. And before I go on with that, actually, because there's more to the whole power and energy thing than meets the eye, I'd like to mention that last night I mentioned for the first time that I can take PayPal donations at Alan Watt cutting through at yahoo.com. And I can, but I prefer at the moment that people would make straight donations only, straight donations at this moment, because I couldn't cope if I tried with all the orders, this isn't a business. I didn't start up to make money on it. And I'm run off my feet as it is. So I'll honor those that have come in. But please, for those who want to simply donate, because after all, you're all that stuff out free for you. You've been something I've been listening for years. 
and you can frustrate the nations in. And that way I can, I can still hopefully survive and uh, keep up with all the things that I have to do because this is a one-man office here. And the office is basically the house and, and the equipment's all over the place. You have to step over everything to get anything done. The one-man band. So, for yes, make straight donations only, please, at the moment until I can maybe get staff down the road. Although I can see the end coming pretty quickly. It's almost time to take off, actually, from this old existence. And talking about power, power and energy, for the average people who are out there, as you know, I'm, uh, I'm sure you know lots of people who read the same things as you do and yet can't remember anything that matters. It's as though all the big declarations, and that's what we're getting nowadays. We don't get just statements or comments, we get declarations from our, our overlords, you see, about energy and Kyoto and coming brownouts. And they do have them in Europe. Some, some countries in Europe have rolling brownouts. They tell you when your area is going to have a brownout to save energy, supposedly. You see. In other words, what they're doing is they're creating the global plantation. And all those guys, you know, all us, that lived so well, so well for so long, supposedly, uh, have to be taken down to almost a third world status because this is the age of chaos. I was thinking about that today because I have intuitions about things before they happen pretty well all the time. And uh, coming back from town, I, I, I noticed something happening. A cop car turned round and went back up. I could see the lights flash and I thought, well, they're going to blast again for this highway or something's going to happen. Sure enough, they cut the power off. And that's sort of stuff that you, you just know is going to happen. And But it made me think about the 1980s, you see, and much before the 1980s even, because I watched the technocrats. Now, the technocrats, if you look at the definition of a technocrat, it's someone who has been groomed for a high position, who is generally unelected by any people of the commoners, that is, who belongs to big institutions and floats from one institution to the other. He's a, he's a, a doer. He's a busy bee. He's also called the fat man in higher circles, but he's a busy bee. And he just walks through doors from one position to the next, all over the world even. And here in Canada and the States and at the United Nations, there's a man flits through them all in the Rockefeller Foundation too, who started them off. And that's Mr. Maurice Strong, who was raised in Canada. A very interesting man. He... Uh, he was pushed by the Rockefeller Foundation and groomed by them for his position in life. He, he has more power than any politician. And that's the words of Professor Carl Quigley when he talked about technocrats. He said that the politicians have the airs and graces, they get all the, the stature, they get the bowing and scraping from the public, uh, but really they don't have the power of the technocrat. The technocrat flips behind the scene in the confident knowledge that he has real power and people obey his commands, including the politicians. And back in the 80s, Maurice Strong flitted from 
association to association. He just tapped a zoom here, a zoom there. And they brought him back from the United Nations where he was working for a while. He was up at the, the World Bank too for a while. But they brought him back for the oddest position, I thought at the time. And it was in all the newspapers in Canada. We didn't, I didn't know he was in this position until, until it came to the privatization of electricity. At that time they called it hydro here, even though we don't have the hydro down so much producing it. It's more nuclear. But they brought him back and they gave him a position in Ontario as the chairman of the board for Ontario Hydro or Electricity. And he was no sooner in the position than these strange comments came out in the newspapers, little little write-ups on Mr. Strong's plans for the future. And he said uh, all factories, and there's not many factories left, mind you, but factories and main institutions and high-rise office buildings, the main ones in the cities, etc., would have to get in big diesel generators and they would be giving them subsidies to do so. Now, in the 80s, we seemed to be rolling along. Mind you, it was all plastic credit and so on. But people were rolling along to an extent. It wasn't quite as depressed as it was today. It is today. And I thought, well, what's coming up? What's coming down the pike here? Mr. Maurice Strong, you see, knew the plan to cut back on all energy back in the 80s, 20, 20 odd years ago. And it was in the newspapers. And no one asked, even, of course, especially not the journalists, as to why this was happening. Why would it have to get big backup generators to power, maybe even permanently, the industries that were left and the big high-rise office blocks and the bank towers, etc.? But it's rather obvious today. It's rather obvious today because since then, in the last few years, we've signed Kyoto treaties to cut back energy, etc. Now, Joe Public thinks we're just floating through because that's what the media's job is to make you think you're just floating through from, from one screw-up at the top, a bureaucratic screw-up at the top to the next screw-up and the next expert screw-up to the, to the next expert screw-up. Well, no, you don't get all these experts that are paid big, big bucks. Have you seen the salaries of some of the top bankers? And have you seen the bonuses they get at Christmas in the millions of dollars? These guys don't make mistakes. They're top. These are the real economists. The real economists don't go by crystal balls like the lower ones do, for it's all voodoo and guessing. The real economists at the top know the agenda. They know what big, big uh, institutions and which big corporations are going to be pushed by the hidden powers behind them and which ones will not. And therefore, that's how they can plan a future. And they have planned it. And now we're going into the, the next mode of the takedown, the takedown of society, the age of chaos. It's not bad enough that the Air Force, as it said in newspapers a few years ago, the American Air Force would be, uh, they'd own the weather. And we're getting sprayed like bugs every day. Uh, this latest big, big thaw, they were spraying like crazy all over the U.S. and Canada. And people were coughing up as usual. And the pharmacist, if you, if you bore to ask them, they'll tell you what the most common, commonly bought medications are during these times. And it's all the antihistamines and bronchodilators and all the rest of it. What's also worthy of note 
as they're taking the bronchodilators off the shelves, you should buy them over the counter. Now you have to go up to the counter and still ask for them to look at you to see if you're going to make some sort of methadone mix or something, supposedly. So they're gradually withdrawing all the stuff that will help you get through a bad time when they lay on the spring rather thickly. Use your eyes and your ears and think for yourself because the media is going to keep you in la-la land. It should be L.A. land, actually, Los Angeles, because that's the job of the media, to divert you off into sports and celebrities uh, of the fictional world that they project to you, where you get your, all your ideas from. That's the job of the media, but never to tell you the truth. Now, towards the end of the 80s and then into the, into the 90s, Canada through a Mr. Alan Rock. Alan Rock was another technocrat. Sometimes he was put in positions, appointed positions within government. And he was made the Attorney General at one point of Canada, charge of all the legal system. And single-handedly, he put through an omnibus bill, which was the anti-terrorism bill and martial law bill, by himself. And no one questioned it. It just went through. At least there were some reporters asking why during this peaceful time uh, in the 90s, when the Cold War was over, we were having wartime bills put through with indefinite imprisonment, with no charge and all this kind of stuff. The same stuff that they brought through uh, after 9-11 everywhere else. Britain tried it at the same time too, but mind you, but it didn't wash. People there at least had some memory of previous times of corrupt governments and kings and queens. But in North America, they didn't uh, have so much of a memory. And uh, it sailed right through here in Canada. So we were way ahead of 9-11 before 9-11 came along and happened. And Maurice Strong, as I say, was doing his big part to privatize. And that was his job when they sent him over in the 80s, privatize the energy system. Now, he was a, a massive system of nuclear energy and, and hydropower from the big uh, uh, Quebec um, systems supply Canada with electricity and the public taxpayer had built this up through the taxation as they always do we, we did everything. all this stuff I'm talking about here happened in Britain long ago with the railway system and the, and the natural gas and even the coal gas before that we built everything up then they privatized and give to their bodies for pennies you see and that's how the, the game goes on over and over this, this Hegelian dialectic and the Canadian taxpayers had been screwed royally, royally screwed, and that's quite the screwing. They were screwed royally to build up this system. And one day they showed ads going back to the 70s when Pierre Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau became Prime Minister of Canada, the same man who led the Young Comintern Party, Young Communist Party, call it Comintern, in 1952 from Canada to Moscow, which the newspapers and the media neglected to tell the public when he ran for election, uh, that Mr. Trudeau was on when he was Prime Minister, uh, participating in ads for the public, telling how cheap electricity was going to be down the road and how we were all building it together with our tax money for the common good. So he's a Prime Minister going into the advertising business to market the whole idea, the whole big lie to you, because he would know too that down the road uh, they were going to privatize it and sell it off, which they have done, thanks to Maurice Strong, the main troubleshooter they eventually 
set in there. And once he set up that structure, Murray Strong was off again to work for the United Nations. He'd done his job. Back with more after the following messages. This is We the People Radio Network. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and we're back cutting through the matrix. Just filling in a little bit of the history that led up to the prior to 9-11 martial law system and those events which were already at work before Kyoto was signed. See, everything is done after the main events and all the structures being set up. That's how the real world works, because the future is always planned. That's what governments do at the tables. I'm talking about real governments, not the ones that we vote for. The ones we vote for, if you ask them any pertinent question, they say that they're not, they haven't been informed on this particular subject, and they'll look into it. That's the answers they give you. And they're quite right about that. They, they prefer not to know. That's how you get up the ladder and get brownie points. You start as a train seal, once you've done all the key works and got your name in lots of charities and boards and so on and played golf with the boss. There's always a, a head honcho in charge of these charities, and he gives a nod to those who are going to go on to the next step on local politics and then, then, then provincial or state politics and then national politics. That's how the whole system really works. You see? You get brownie points. Then once you get into federal politics, they sit like creels at the circus, and you see the big one playing with a ball in the middle, and the rest of them clap their fins. That's what parties are for they clap their fins and please the top guy and he might notice them if, if he notices them they might get up a lot and that's what they all hope for and that's a psychopathic personality they know not well, what questions not to ask that's more important questions to ask if you're a politician what questions not to ask then you can honestly see you know nothing about it that's, that's how the system works quite simple same with the military you obey orders and don't ask questions. Same thing. That's how you get up the ladder. And both institutions are Freemasonic, you see. And in Freemasonry, uh, you must obey instantly uh, an order from a superior without question and reserve all moral judgments to the side. You must not come into your decision to comply. You must simply comply. That's how the real world works. And here we are, running along towards this new world order and going into the time of chaos. Now, Maurice Strong, again, who scoots all over the planet, and I think he's in his 80s now, was on public broadcasting uh, a couple of years ago. Again, a rainy, rainy uh, Sunday. You know, I, I hate Sundays because they're always so boring. And when I was small, I used to have to go to school on the Monday, so I try to make Sundays last as long as possible. I'd fight the clock until my eyes dropped, you see. 
and so they're always very boring so a rainy Sunday was even worse because you generally were stuck in the house and I'm still the same today it's sort of ingrained in me now so once in a blue moon I'll watch the public broadcasting on a Sunday if it's raining and lo and behold who was, who was the program about Mr. Marie, Marie Strong and it showed him in his family life and so on and he's still putting in 12 or 16 hours a day and this was taken in Beijing of all places because after he left Ontario Hydro after being at the United Nations he went back to the United Nations with head of something then the, then the United Nations sent him to Beijing and built a big big headquarters for him to do with the free trade deals and so on and it just happened to mention there and it, and it followed him to a graveyard in, in Beijing and Matsi Tong's grave was I think it was there but at least I know one thing uh, Marie Strong's aunt was there and he, he laid flowers at the grave of his who happened to be in Beijing buried there and it said great advisor and friend to our glorious and illustrious leader of the communist revolution and I thought, really, boy, are these boys, have these boys and their predecessors and all their relatives involved big time in the affairs of the world? And they are, you see. They're all like that. If you go through their histories, that tied right in with Bertrand Russell's uh, biography when he talks about himself getting sent over to, the, to uh, China, pre-communist China universities. And he tells you he was preaching basic communism to them to get them all started to, to set off the ball the, the, the ball rolling of communism all big players you see and their descendants take over that role and carry it on I think it's programmed in their genes like the Rothschilds you don't see one leaving and saying well dad I, I want to be a fisherman or anything like that you see no they want to be a banker and, and they become bankers one exception was Victor Rothschild who was in the military during World War II as a bomb disposal expert I think he commanded men to go in and dispose of the bombs but he eventually rose the ranks and was put into port and dust the big experimental laboratory for bacterial and viral warfare he was in charge of that for quite a few years and he, he then was put in charge after being the main suspect for the go-between what they called the fifth man of a spy team that operated in Britain they caught some of them who all happened to manage to get out of the country because they were tipped off and helped at very high levels, uh, he 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 was put in charge of all the British security agencies to do to to fight communism. Meanwhile, he was the main suspect. Figure that out. You see, there's a third party running both sides. That that's how there was never a, a real threat of nuclear war. There was a another third party at the top running both sides. It was only those at the bottom levels of both sides that thought there was a real war going in. And they did all the snooping on each other and all that kind of stuff. They got the top guys were sharing all the information and making sure nothing really happened uh, that would cause problems. But Mr. Rothschild uh, was was right up there, and he did go back into the banking system once he came off that position. So it seems to be in their genes a genetic thing. They don't have a, a flair for for leaving the family and, and doing something different, as far as we know, or any that do end up generally hanging from a towel in the bathroom and then covering it briefly and being told by the old granny Rothschild uh, to leave it alone if you want to keep your newspaper intact and that happened too do your homework we're living in amazing times amazing times as we rush towards all of this and to Joe Public out there who lives on plastic cards and fast food 
and instead of having it, they're having a whale of a time just surfing the internet and going into all kinds of mind games and things. They've had it, basically. Those people have had it. You understand? They couldn't survive at all, even mentally, if this system was to break suddenly. Sad to say, but most folk are not mentally prepared for it. They'd collapse if they had to really survive in any kind of hardship. One generation was spoiled, incredibly spoiled, for this very purpose. Because the chaos is created, when we go down the tubes, the better for the ones at the top to use it as an excuse to guide what's left of you into the big sheep pens, the new habitat overcrowded cities. While the elite bureaucrats that still run the show and the military will have their lovely brand new habitat areas outside the cities and well spaced so that there's a bit of room, room, etc. That's what's to happen. One generation was to get spoiled rotten and have every little thing their heart desired on credit, of course, and one day the piper must be paid. And when it does, they'll all collapse because they couldn't imagine living any other way than the way they're already. It's kind of like the PayPal thing. I've had so many people say they wouldn't buy anything from me unless I was on PayPal. So, so, so they're probably the very system that's going to take the power away from them themselves. The very system, the cashless system, which is to go into a credit system given out by government, according to Bertrand Russell, if you're a good boy or girl. Back with more after the following messages. Listening to We the People Radio Network. because it's not meant to go on too long. Mr. Alan Rock, the one I mentioned earlier, who was the Attorney General for Canada, who passed this big omnibus bill, and at least he, someone else drafted up. Of course, he didn't do that. But he went right off to work for the United Nations right after that. That's generally what you find right, right off the United Nations. We found that Mr. Martin came in after Mr. Cretien as Prime Minister, and Martin had never left politics before except for a few months prior to, to taking over from Cretium. And where was he during that time? He was working in the United Nations. Starting to get it, starting to get the big drift. United Nations that does not 
count itself responsible to anyone. It was set up to take over as a front too, mind you, for the powers who own the planet, the big wealthy corporations and people behind them that own the planet, to run the public in a, a form of communistic style at the bottom level. They're not a democratic institution. They're a private organization. Private organization. They're not a nation either. The United Nations is not a, a nation either. The land that the buildings sit on in New York was donated by the Rockefeller family. Again, a big institution. Go back to Weishaupt, what do you see? We shall run through institutions, foundations. Cecil Rhodes Foundation, Royal Institute of International Affairs Foundation. And here we are run by foundations. Especially the big ones who are chartered, meaning a royal permission to exist on command of royalty, royalty of Britain, where they all go over after they're serving their system well, do what they're told and get ignited. Quite something indeed, isn't it? Foundations run our lives. So the United Nations is probably on about the fourth generation now of uh, training their own offspring because they interbreed too there. They have their own private schools for the United Nations at the United Nations to bring up the, their own children to become and take uh, good bureaucrats and take over from their parents, you see. An ongoing concern. And once in a blue moon, you'll get one of them bypassing the PR, the public relations spokesperson, remember the PR spokespeople are supposed to soften it for public consumption. Uh, and, but once or, or twice uh, I've seen a, a lady come across and, and uh, I guess the PR guy was off sick that day or maybe he was in the meditation room, their own meditation room there, worshipping the dark green stone. And she spoke uh, and she was dictating to the public with a very hard, well, almost like Janet Reno, if you get what I mean. And she was dictating to the public how it was going to be. And they sort of cut her off. They took the cameras away because she was getting a bit too harsh. Like an old, uh, you know, schoolmistress that was lacking a few things in her life. And that's what the United Nations is comprised of. They they treat, they've been taught to treat the public like children, irresponsible children. And that's how we're all viewed by those at the top. Being responsible means doing what you're told. Being irresponsible is thinking for yourself and making decisions for yourself because why you're just too dumb and stupid to make your own decisions uh, according to them. And I'm not kidding. They've printed lots of statements like this. And that's what's to take over when they bring us into the real chaos, which is really on a roll now. Just in town... I stopped off and there's a paper shop there. I didn't buy any of the papers. I don't believe in paying all that money for propaganda and predictive programming. But I noticed the front pages there about Canada now pumping millions or billions into the economy because we're falling. You see, we're going to recession because we're linked with the United States for trade. And that's how it will be sold to the general public that my mind, I never saw it coming. It's hit all the experts like, like a, a wind out of nowhere. And they're all getting blown off their seats. Just one of these things, like an act of God, like the insurance companies would say. In a sense, they're right, because they have their own little deities there that generally walk around dressed in five, ten thousand $10,000 suits. And that's how this whole thing is going to get played out, as inflation goes rampant. 
But there's no point going into town and to the printers or anywhere else nowadays without just handing out $100 bills everywhere because that's how you used to hand out 10 or 20s at one time. Now it's $100 here, $100 there. That's how everything is. And the public, again, don't really notice it so much as I do because they are cashless. Most are cashless already. Most don't even check their bills. They, they give their numbers for direct debit and, uh, straight to the, to the electricity company and the gas companies and all the other companies. So they don't even read their bills anymore. They've got too much. See, they need more time to play themselves. So the important things like that or the trivial things like that are done automatically. And to them, it's a world that will never end because they don't see money shrinking in a wallet. Paper money wasn't that bad. At least it gave you something to see. And by the end of the month, when there was a really thin wallet there and the moths were croaking and dropping out of it dead because there was nothing left to eat, you got the message that you were pretty well at the end of it and you couldn't have that last impulse buy. But with the cashless society, it's all unreal to the public. It's just numbers, you see. Just, just numbers in the ether, the electronic ether. It doesn't really mean anything to them. So they think this is going to go on forever, even when, when those at the top are telling them that it's not going to. They don't believe it. That must mean someone else they're talking about, not me. And that's how the average person lives in their own little world with this thing spinning around them and somehow leaving them alone, you see, because they're special. Everyone's special. Everyone thinks they're special. Same with soldiers. But there's not one guy who would go into the military if you could take him forward in time and, and show him some bloody body, body in a battlefield and say, that's you, son, uh, six months or a year down the road. Unless you showed that person that scene, they would never think it could happen to them. They live in a strange little world where, no, somehow they're special. And other people might get it, but not them. And that's how everyone else lives too. Egocentric and egocentonic, as they say. The very system that Russell, Dewey, John Dewey, and many others even Pavlov talked about creating a world that revolves around you and somehow you'll be safe, happy and warm and you can play, play, play until you become a geriatric and die quietly in your sleep without any pain whatsoever, suddenly. That's what everyone thinks is going to happen to them. And it's not because it's coming down now. And when they start putting this recession and all this stuff in the newspapers, they mean business. They mean business. Because you see, this is a repeat scenario of what happened in Europe when they were amalgamating the Europeans under one system. For years it talked about the R word, like the Rescuity Recession, which really is a depression, and inflation, and they standardized that, standardizing different currencies during that whole period. If you notice the dollar, the U.S., the dollar, Canada is pretty well on par, has been for a long time now. And that's all getting lined up, getting us lined up towards integration. And that means, too, that the prices must raise, mainly in the U.S. side, to match those in Canada, because we will not go down to their level, you see. You have to, America has to come up to Canadian level. And that will happen too. And there's going to be a hullabaloo as this process takes place, but not too much. There'll be enough uh, 
peanuts left over for you to live on. Maybe not the same style as you're used to, but enough peanuts so that you won't riot. Don't want riots happening until we're all one nation. You see, that's when they'll encourage the riots. Once that's done, that's that's the plan. There'll be some riots, maybe the poor, because they always get hit first, and no one cares about them. Because once again, if you're doing okay, you think you're special. You're special. My world is special. My world revolves around me. I'm doing good. And it's all based on you getting a pay raise every year from your boss. And you just hope, like or expect actually at Christmas, uh, that 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 pay raise is going to take care of the inflation. Even though the, for the last few years, it's not, it has not been keeping up, you see, with inflation. The only ones who keep up with inflation are ex-bureaucrats because they have index-related pensions. Same with politicians. They made the laws themselves, you see. Back with more after these messages. Great host, great topics, brief speech at its best. This is We the People Radio Network. through a hell 
which they vaguely comprehend from old movies or World War II documents or dramas or docudramas or scenarios or clips. They can't imagine that ever happening. Again, vast amounts of people on the move and long lines, mainly on foot too. They can't imagine it. That's the best type of population for a tyrant to control because there'll be an utter, complete shock when they see their system going down so quickly. In the, in the newsstand today, again, on another newspaper front page, it's also been on the CBC radio news, I believe, it was mentioned that a little place south of me on Lake Huron, uh, down Port Hopeway, is having, and this is a, like a cottage area. It's all cottages, summer cottages, and some old-timers that live there, Parry Sound area. And, and, well, they've been told by the port authorities, who are also in shock, uh, that all around the port and harbour entrances and exits, they're putting up wire, barbed wire fencing over two metres high. No explanation given except it's part of uh, anti-terrorism agenda, which I presume is happening to all other ports around everywhere else. Now, that's not to stop terrorists obviously coming in, because no landed invasion is going to happen with big battleships. And apart from that, if they were, uh, they'd just blow those wire fences out of the way. It's not meant to stop terrorists, because trained terrorists, if there were any, uh, would be special forces. They, would, they have ways of getting through wire like that so fast, they can't, you know, you'd hardly even stop them for a second. So that's to stop the public. You see, you've got to use your own brain here. Not, but these people at the top are simply not stupid. They're not as stupid as they want us to think they are. They don't make these kind of mistakes. That's to stop the public having access to a port to try and get away from their area. And it's also to stop other, perhaps, refugees coming in from stateside and other places as there was pandemics, which they say is just around the corner over and over. They say that every week from the top. Getting us all used to the idea. And that falls in line with all the gunboats. I've read it on my site. It's all up there. My audio is on that. I've done the programs on it. And read from the articles about putting all the fleets of gunboats, which are there now on all the Great Lakes, uh, heavily armed with big, big, heavy machine guns. Machine guns that could rip through the hulls of, of warships. And, and that's not to stop the, the little person smuggling something across the Great Lakes, like a, a few packets of cigarettes. That's meant to stop and terrify and kill off hordes of people trying to move somewhere in a hurry. That's what that's about. So now here they are at it, Paris Sound in different places, using barbed wire fences. And it's nothing to do with terrorism until you understand how they've defined terrorism and who they expect to be terrified then it falls into place. I guess terrified people cause terrorism as they rampage 
trying to get away from something that's perhaps going to kill them. Or if they need food and basics to survive, I guess then they will be classed as terrorists. That's how the game played out, you see. And most people at that moment, as I say, when they can pull out those plastic cards and just play, 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 will be hit the hardest because they will be paralyzed in shock when the little world that they thought would go on forever stops. And that plastic doesn't work anymore for anything. Or any of the other plastic cards that they have. Total, utter chaos and shock. And that's how it's been set up to be. So we're getting to that stage now. It's in the air. You smell it. You see the signs of it all around you if you just look. That's not just the New Agers who've been taught to be egocentric, etc. You do that which you like to do and look away from the unpleasant things. Just be happy, as the song goes. Don't worry. Be happy. It's not just the New Agers. They're well indoctrinated not to see, look at the bad things because they think they can make their own reality. Which would be a handy thing when really tough times come. As you're sitting starving, you can pretend you're in the middle of an orchard. And maybe that will make you last a bit longer mentally as you laugh and twitter to yourself in the air, waiting for a message to come through. Or you become a breatharian. You know, actually, some of them, some of the real fanatics actually believe this, that some people just live on fresh air. A breatharian. And they'll give you old stories that are completely unverifiable, of course, of certain individuals who never ate in their lifetime. And that's the kind of stuff that goes around their circles and that they, they practice hard enough that they can reach that level. It's an incredible insanity that's been purposely put out there for them all to swallow. Shock, horror, and you'll see amazing things happening. Amazing things happening. And that's the agenda for pretty well the whole, definitely the whole northern world, for sure. Because every country, like your reports in all the countries in the northern hemisphere, and some of the ones in the southern ones, and they're all getting the same. Even little Finland's getting the wireless Wi-Fi system put up everywhere, cameras and buses and all this kind of stuff all over the place. Little old Finland. A little country that, that fought off everybody, even during World War II. They had the, the Gahonas to fight anybody who tried to invade, be the Soviet or German. They're now getting the Wi-Fi system and cameras and so on and so on. A place where nothing much happens. Everyone's getting it. Because the big boys know what they're bringing down on the little people at the bottom. So I don't give you promises of things which will save you. You can only use your common sense. Many people will dive in to the usual stuff that's been, oh, it's been hawked. We call it hawking or hawking something. They call it hawk. But, you know, stuff's been hawked on the Patriot radio stations for 50 years. That's going to save you. 
generally is rather heavy stuff they're supposed to use for transactions and the people that I know have bought lots of this stuff and they also buy air raid shelters and everything else and I keep telling them what makes you think you're going to stay in your home with all that stuff or be allowed to and escape you try running off with five, five bags of gold it's heavy stuff Back with more after the following messages.